It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Voices for Change 2.0, the only podcast that focuses on mental health while mixing in movies, music, books, sports, and pop culture. Here are your hosts, Rebecca and Joe Lombardo. Hey, good morning, and welcome to Voices for Change 2.0. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here. Hope you're uh, having a great Saturday so far. So uh, ever since we uh, first started to do a podcast, I've uh, wanted today's guest to be on it. He was actually my very first choice. When we found out we were doing it, I said, we have to have Corey Chalmers. There's no question about it. And uh, even though he's been a little bit elusive, <laughs> um, I, we finally got him. So uh, most people will know him from the show orders. Um, I personally have had nothing but the best experiences with Corey. He's, kind, down-to-earth, and funny, and we're just excited to be chatting with him today. So please welcome to the show, Corey Chalmers. Thank you, guys. I have no idea who you just described, but it's good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and sorry for being elusive. I've just been really busy. It's not that I didn't want to do this, and I was flattered to be your first desire. Um, it's just been crazy. It really has. So sorry about well, that, but it's good to be here. Oh, it's no problem. Yeah, it's no problem at all. We're just glad that we finally got you, and and we know that um, you know your your franchises are expanding with your business, and you know everything is is getting bigger and bigger for you. So we're really excited. You're a busy guy. Yeah, it is getting bigger and bigger, and I'm sure you you're talking about my waistline. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's been my actual work lately is decreasing that. I'm de-hoarding my belt size, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, it's something that we all need to get on board with. <laughs> um, I just wanted to say really quick, Corey, thanks for talking to us. Uh, you've always been so kind to my wife, and she speaks so highly of you, and, and just really thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Yeah, definitely. It really is a pleasure. And I love talking about what I do and the experiences and educating people more in this disorder. So whatever, you know, I can do to um, do that, I'm I'm happy to do today. Great. Okay, so um, we don't think you have any questions for us, so we're just going to jump on in. Great. Okay. So you are obviously well-known for the show hoarders, but you've had your own business for quite some time now, correct? Yeah, yeah, this year is 22 years that we've been doing what we do, extreme cleaning. Wow, that's wild. How did you get into uh, that field? Well, it's funny. I'm actually looking at a PowerPoint slide that I'm making for a lecture I have to do uh, tomorrow. I was working as a paramedic um, and just going into homes, and actually at first it was just crime scenes. So walking into these homes as a paramedic and a fireman, and we would go in and we would, you know, unfortunately, most of the time in these situations, pronounce someone dead after a suicide or some tragedy. And all I remember is always seeing the family and just how distraught, you know, and and to picture these hysterically crying people then have to get on their hands and knees and clean up the remains of their loved one just ate away at me you know, constantly. And I'd always ask the police, what are you going to do for these people? And they would say, I don't care. I'm doing my report and I'm out of here. That's my job. Not that they were, you know, that mean or cruel, but no one ever thinks about what happens, you know, to the families and stuff when people left, you know, when, when the authorities leave. So my business actually started just as a biohazard crime scene cleanup company. But in the first year, we got a lot of calls for hoarding and just, you know, gross filth and squalor and things like that. And there were no resources you know, 22 years ago um, for any of these things. So it just kind of sprung out of nowhere. Just I told my wife after a really bad crime scene, or actually it was a suicide one night, 
and I just went home and I said, I, I have to do something. I don't care if it makes money or not, but I just cannot picture another person having to deal with this alone. Uh, it sounds heartbreaking, you know, going into those situations and, and seeing that. Um, God bless you for, for making that decision. <clears throat> yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you the story of the one that really triggered me, if you want. I, I'll keep the gruesome stuff out of it, but... If you have time, I'd be happy to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So this was already on my mind, like I said, um, just going on these calls. But we got a call one night for a suicide. We were the first ones there, so there were, you know, no police, nobody there yet. We walk in, and as soon as we open the front door, I see the wife sitting on the arm of the couch, not, you know, not even on the cushions, and she has blood all over her. And she is hysterical. She's trembling. She's crying. She just points down the hallway towards a bathroom and as we turn into the hallway we can see like where her hands like were holding herself up as she walked out to the living room just streaks of blood and we open the bathroom door and there's her husband and he had killed himself with a handgun unfortunately you know shot himself in the head so there was not a lot of things left and the mess in there was just unbelievable he was also a hemophiliac so his blood didn't clot so the entire floor was red mm. and just you know seeing her covered in blood that means she was in there holding him and even that in and of itself is so traumatic to picture. Um, but then for her to have to go into that bathroom and deal with what was literally on the ceiling walls everywhere, I just, that's the one that I went home and said, no more. Like, I have to give people an option, even if it's only the people that I come in direct contact with. So that was the one that just, to this day, wow. bothers me. Mm-hmm. You know, just terrible. I can't even imagine. Yeah, I, that's again it's heartbreaking you know and you know i don't think people think of that type of thing when a tragedy like that happens you know especially when it's you know something like a like a gunshot wound or or whatever you know yeah and you watch the news and the first 10 minutes are just stories of shooting stabbings death 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 and you think each one of those has so many people around them that are not only losing a loved one, but they have this other stuff to deal with, you know? So even if I make that, that tragedy 0.01% better, it's something, you know? And the sad part is someone, a loved one that cleans up something like that after their loved one passes away is 75% more likely to kill themselves. So that's a pretty, that's a pretty staggering number to think about. That's a, that's a hard statistic that I've, I've never heard before. Um, no, no, honestly, you know, you don't think about something like that. No. Um, so we can move on. It's kind of depressing. Sorry to start <laughs> this way. <laughs> no, no, you no. ask the question, you're going to get the answers. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, my, my next question is, is still in the, the crime scene area, but not, not gruesome. I hope, uh-huh. um, you know, I'm not sure if you can talk about it or not, but, you know, for some of the crime scene cleanups that you've done, are there any high-profile cases you've worked on that we might have heard of? So, yes. I mean, there is some that we've done, but they all require us to sign confidentiality notices. So it's something that I cannot mm-hmm. talk about. And, you know, not that I'm some big movie star, but just knowing their position and stuff, I kind of get it a little bit more. So I think people right. call us more often because – they think that I can maybe relate a little bit better about keeping things confidential. Sure. You know, but not even just crime scenes, but we do a lot of, um, (laughs) like a lot of the germ phobes out there. We do a lot of high high profile, just heavy duty cleaning and disinfecting of a lot of movie stars, musicians, homes, uh, whenever they move in, move out because they are so afraid of, you know, bugs. Right. No, and I, I get that. That's, that's cool that you guys go in and do that too. You know, because I, I wish that was something we thought of when we moved in here yeah, 11 really. years ago. You know, I mean, we, we went <laughs> through cleaning. We have moved in. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Yeah, don't use a black you know, light ever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I learned that once in a hotel. <laughs> I don't think I want to know. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I'm actually sort of. Uh, I'm slacking off a little bit in my old age, but I'm actually sort of a clean freak in in a sense, Um, you know, and I like things to be certain ways. And, you know, if we go to a hotel, I bring a can of Lysol 
and before we touch anything, I spray everything down. And it's not a small can of Lysol. I'm talking it's the <laughs> big industrial size can, and that's all you breathe the entire time you're in the hotel room. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a little particular about that kind of stuff, and um, he's had to learn over the years that we've been we've married 15 years, and he's had to learn um, how to be a little bit more tidy. I've, I've had to learn how to enjoy the smell of Lysol. I'll put it that way. Um, That's a tough one. That's strong. Yeah. Incidentally, Lysol, if you're looking for uh, someplace to advertise. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Um, you've probably seen some, you know, kind of crazy things, and you know, silly things in, in your line of work. Um without getting too specific, can you think of, you know, one of your craziest sort of experiences? Oh, my gosh. That's asking a lot. We've literally cleaned over 10,000 homes now. Oh, wow. um, yeah. I mean, you name it, we've probably seen it. Um, I always <laughs> like, you know, like the christmas theme ones and, and just the more fun ones and the more depressing ones, to be honest. You know, you go and there's literally like tinsel and garland on <laughs> – every square inch of the ceiling and so i like oh the God. themes i guess is what i'm saying <laughs> those are a little <laughs> more fun and you know the people typically are more joyful and happy um you know when there's a theme like that than the ones that we typically see that are caused by you know trauma and depression and things so yeah i prefer the fun ones with with a theme i, I actually remember watching an episode of, of hoarders one time and um the people. I don't know if this is one of one of your people or one of uh, Matt's. I, I don't remember now, but the lady had a thing about Christmas, and th- there were multiple Christmas trees in the house that were decorated, and the whole place was just wall-to-wall Christmas. And I'm looking at it going, you know, I like Christmas a lot. Back will <laughs> tell you, I like Christmas. She she tolerates Christmas for me, and. That's a lot of Christmas. You know? <laughs> um, that just that shocked me. I, I just yeah, I don't remember that one. I do. Yeah. And I, I If I remember, and... I I think it was one that had like literally the brown dead Christmas trees. Yeah. 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 Dude, they, were, those... yeah dude, they were dead. They were dead. <laughs> they were yeah. The Christmas trees. The fireman in me cringes when I see those. Sorry. <laughs> 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 yeah, I know. I, I hear you. We, we, it's been a long-standing debate in this household about having a real tree. And I, every year she said, "Can we?" I'm like, "Every year, no." I grew up on real trees. It was a tradition for me and my dad. We would go out and pick out the tree every year. And I marry this one. And he's like, "No, our real trees only." Rah, 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 rah. Yep. So, <laughs> <laughs> I actually said that. Rah, 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 rah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Corey, how did you find out about the show holders? Did you approach them or did they approach you? How did that work out? Well, that's a good question. It actually started with us on accident. So Screaming Flea Productions, who makes the show, came to us back in 2009 wanting to do a reality show on crime scene cleanup. So oh, we okay. told them that we had already worked with, you know, Fremantle, who made like American Idol and some of these big production companies, even Discovery and that it never went anywhere because they were afraid of trying to get advertisers for a show that's so gory and graphic. But they said, right. well, A&E is interested. Um, you know, let's just, let's just film it and see what happens. So we took them to two homes where people died, and one of the homes happened to be a hoarder, which is actually pretty common because we go on a lot of deaths in hoarders' homes because they push everyone out of their lives, so no one's there to find them, so they take a few weeks or months before anyone finds them. So there's a lot of cleanup there. Anyway, so we did right. the two cleanups. A&E was just like we thought. They were like, ah, oh, that's way too much, too graphic. But what is up with that one house? And we said, well, yeah. that's a hoarder. And they said, is that common? We said, it's extremely common, about one in 20 homes. And they said, are you serious? They said, well, that could be a show. So we filmed the pilot with me and my wife and our employees cleaning two houses. Um, and the pilot was called Dirty Work. And one of them was, uh, one of the hoarders was named Disco Bonnie. So she was kind of a fun character from the 70s who was this big disco lady. Um, And they loved it. But they said, you know, our top show right now is Intervention. So what if we brought a doctor in and really explored the psychology of this disorder? So that's kind of the direction it went. 
but that's how it was formed, a complete accident. Wow. So how how long ago was that, Corey? What, what year did that start? That was in 2009. Okay, that's what I thought. Wow. That's really yeah, cool. I, think I mean, it's, it's I think it aired in 2010, though, I think was the first episode. But that's when they were out filming, you know, dirty work and really kind of figuring out the show. Right. You know, I I didn't start out watching the show. I actually actively avoided it because, <laughs> and, and it's, not, it's not anything against the show, but I know personally some people who have uh, hoarding tendencies, and mm-hmm. I felt like it was going to be, you know, sort of too close to home for me. So I, I didn't, I kind of avoided it because I didn't want to really get into it. And once I finally started watching it, I ended up, I think, just binge watching episode after episode after episode because it it sort of finally opened my eyes as to what was really going on. And, sure. Um, and, and it's funny because she was doing that and I'm at work and I'm getting, you know, Call after call and text after text. Oh my God, this is fascinating. Oh, you gotta, you're not gonna believe what this person did. Oh my God. And I got home and, you know, she's sitting there on the bed watching it with drool coming out of her mouth. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I think a lot of people didn't watch it, but once they start watching it, it's addicting. I will say that. It's addicting to see and explore the psychology. And a lot of people think that we're exposing them and, you know, it's, I am very pleased with the fact that I helped in this way create a show that brought so much awareness to something that we were dealing with for, you know, over a decade before the show came out and no one knew about it. Everyone thought it was their dirty little secret. So they kept it a secret. They didn't think there was help out there. Um, And now it's actually a diagnosis that people can get help for and it's covered by their health insurance. I mean, I think that's a phenomenal um, thing to come out of a reality show, you know, at least it had something Absolutely. purposeful and beneficial. So yeah, I, I have no regrets about this and I don't, I don't think we're doing anything negative at all. Absolutely. Awareness, awareness is the first step to, you know, hopefully making improvements and, you know, mm-hmm. the, the stigma around hoarding and everything, you know, hopefully, erasing that someday just you know so that people start to understand that it it is a disorder and it's not that they're just lazy and they don't want to fix it you know right. and that that falls under a lot of mental illnesses a lot of people think that people with depression are just lazy and don't want to you know do things but they're actually dealing with a, their disorder so you know yeah. and it, it, it must it, be nice to go through life being perfect like all the people that ridicule others right, right? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, we've got to we've got to take a quick break. Uh, We will be signing out here with Tom Goss's "More Than Temporary," and we'll be right back. Sing 
Chalmers, and we're very excited to be talking with him today. Hey, hey. how's it going? Hello. Hello. <laughs> On a personal note, Corey, uh, you are actually one of the reasons I kept watching the show, uh, the way that you were real with everyone, but in such a kind and, you know, rational way. You know, you, you knew when to give them tough love, and it, it, it always came across as, you know, caring and um, you became one of my favorite people on the show. Did you have any any training, you know, um, prior to that besides, you know, the um, the EMT training that you know would help well, you keep your food in that situation? <laughs> I get asked that a lot. I think it's just my I think it's just my personality. In all honesty, um, I'm pretty even keeled throughout my life. Uh, I don't let a lot of things get to me, bother me. I, I obviously think being you know, straight out of high school, an EMT and then a paramedic and a firefighter, those are pretty much adrenaline jobs. And so it takes a lot to kind of rock me. But I think I'm also just very understanding of this disorder. So I don't take any of the verbal abuse personally. I don't think it's an attack on me. I know it's the stress that they're going through because there's strangers in their house touching their stuff. I wouldn't want strangers in my house going through my drawers saying, do you want this? Do you want this? Throw this away. Like, who are you? (laughs) So... I get it. You know, we have to understand that side of it. We, you know, we can't just assume that they're going to let us come in and, and do all these things and life is going to be normal. If they aren't getting upset, there's a bigger issue there. So that's right. normal. Yeah. And we're, we're, we're dealing with a, a very complex disorder. So there's a lot of layers to it. We don't know a lot of times exactly what that person has been through. Um, one of the last shows we were on, uh, Dr. Zazio and I in Ogden, Utah. If you remember the the Wizard of Ogden or whatever coming out and doing his little sorcery stuff to get the devil or the the devil and demons out, we yep. found out during filming actually why they were filming that her daughter was murdered. Um, something and it wasn't even really part of the show, but we find out things and we find out the just the multitude of traumas and negative things that these people have been through. And I always look at them and think, well, I don't know how you're still sane at all. You know, I would have probably been in a loony farm by now because you have been through a lot. So we have to kind of put ourselves in their place and think, wow, if not organizing your house and collecting things to make you feel feel good is is the outcome of what you've been through, man, that's pretty amazing, to be honest. So let's just help you get back to a 
a little more normal state so you have a place where you can think clearly and feel safe. And, you know, emotionally, um, I think you can't think clearly when your house is that cluttered. Um, so I think my biggest reason and the way I act and stuff is, is I truly like to help people. Same reason I got into the crime scene cleanup 22 years ago. I just don't like to see people suffer, and I like to give them resources. When everyone else seems to just turn the other way or give up on them. Bigger the challenge, better the reward for me. That's a great attitude to have. Yeah, absolutely. It really is. It really speaks to, you know, what I was saying, that your kindness and the respect that you give people that are oftentimes looked down upon by, you know, the outside world, the respect that you give them, you know, it, that just really, it made the show, gosh, you don't, I don't want to really say this this way, but it made the show easier to watch in a sense because it's such a difficult topic and these people are in so much pain and sometimes, you know, you're seeing graphic stuff that's, it's really not pretty that you really don't think you want to see, but having someone like you on there that was just so kind and could even right compassionate and yeah. could even get a laugh out of them at times made them mm-hmm. made the shows easier to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the show did a good job at casting too, because I think there's a balance there. Um, you know, Matt has a totally different style than me. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think all the experts on the show have different personalities and different ways of doing things, and, and then the show did a good job at matching us up with our clients that we would work with too. Yeah, so got to yeah. give them credit. And it's it's funny that you you mentioned a little while ago about you know strangers coming into the person's house and hey, do you want to throw this out? Do you want to throw that out? And you're like that's my stuff. Back right. when I actually had a conversation about this not too long ago. Because you can watch the show being an outsider and get completely frustrated with the with the person, with the hoarder. And, you know, they're like, well, just let go of it. But you, until you actually put yourself in that person's shoes and go, well, wait a minute, that's, that's not my stuff. I'm fine with throwing that stuff out. But for them, they're emotionally invested in everything they've got in that house. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, even down to the smallest details. So, you know, when you look at it from that point of view, it's like, yeah, trying to let go of, you know, decades worth of stuff that that to the outside person is completely immaterial to them. That's like, well, no, I need that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, and yeah. and it's not even about the stuff sometimes. You know, that's the problem right. with hoarding is, is there's so many reasons people hoard. Now we can say, look, eighty to ninety percent is caused by trauma, depression but there's still many other layers to it. So we need to understand that. And what I, when we train our franchises and stuff, we put them through eight hours just of the psychology behind hoarding because I want them to really understand the why, the hows. How do you talk to them? You know, how do we make the most progress with someone? When do we say no? When is that person not ready? You know, but the most important thing is understanding how they got there. And for a hoarder to tell us how they got there, we really have to build a lot of trust with them to get that personal and intimate with their tragedies, their traumas, and that, that really terrible roadmap is what I call it. And, and then we have yeah. to reverse it. It has nothing to do with removing stuff, and that's what I want people to understand. This is, the stuff is a symptom. We don't walk into a bar, find an alcoholic, and say, give me that bottle, take it away, and then go pat ourselves on the back and say, we just cured that guy's problem. We didn't didn't address the alcoholism at all. And so when we go and we empty out a house, we're actually making it worse because we're giving them another trauma, another sense of loss. But we're not addressing the behavior at all. So why are we focusing on that? Why does code enforcement people go out, red tag a house, clean it out, and then let them come back home? Because they're just going to be dealing with that person again. They're missing the point. Mm -hmm. Spend some of that money that you're spending on the cleanup on working on the behavior change and why they're feeling like they have to acquire this stuff. And so that's the shift, even as a, a national company that makes its money off cleaning up these homes, we also focus on how to help them never fill it up again. It seems like it's counterintuitive for what we do, but it's actually why so many people call us and why so many cities contract with us, because we're trying to end what they consider their problem childs, the hoarders that keep popping up over and over and over. 
you know, so we're trying to look at it differently. It's kind of like when I was a fireman. I was like, why are we doing fire prevention? This makes no sense. We're preventing fires, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, I'm, I'm stuck here eating chili. <laughs> <laughs> but, again, if we really want to help, we can't focus on just the cleanup. Yes, that's a part of the puzzle and a part of the solution, but not the main part. And that's where the doctors and the therapists and stuff are so important in helping the people discover their own personal roadmap, how they got there, and how to recover from that. Yeah. You know, we talked to Dr. Zazio a couple of weeks ago, and she made a point that even though I'd seen a lot of episodes of the show didn't really um, hit me until she said it, and she mentioned that what we don't, what most people don't understand is that you're going into these situations where these people are, they're, it's their last ditch effort. Most of them are about to get thrown out of their house or, you know, their house is going to get torn down or, you know, they, this is it for them. So they're mm-hmm. backed into a corner and essentially forced into having you guys come in and start cleaning their house out. And in the process, they've got to come to terms with their disorder all in a five-day span. Sure, which is totally unrealistic, let's be honest. Absolutely. I mean, I've had bipolar disorder for nearly 25 years, and I still haven't completely come to terms with it. Mm-mm. You know, and that's so, the thing with psychological disorders is you can't beat them, you can't overcome them, you can only manage them. Right. So education and learning, like in your case, learning your own patterns and your own everything is is the best tool you have. Not someone coming in for a few days and telling you how to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you, yep. everyone on the show was facing a crisis. They would not take anyone on the show if they weren't facing a crisis because that's kind of the hook at the end of the show. It's not mm-hmm. really if we clean the house, don't clean the house. Is it? It's did we prevent the crisis from happening? Are the kids going to be taken away now? No. Great. Did they get their kids back? Awesome. Are they going to jail? No. Are they getting divorced? No. You know, so there always has to be that hook in reality TV that people want to watch to the end to see, oh, did they do it? You know, and it's true. It, it works on me. I'm, I'm always <laughs> yeah. like, she'll have the show on and I'll watch it. And, oh, okay, what's going on? Oh, all right. Well, how's this end? You know. Yeah, well, right. we'll watch it, but uh, he he will not let me turn hoarders on at dinner time. No. <laughs> that is his steadfast rule. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, here I come with dinner. Oh, you better put on Judge Judy or something. Yeah. <laughs> something else. <laughs> we're not watching murders while we eat. Yeah. That's the only. That's my only rule. Yeah. Otherwise, I think it's a great show. So, um, do you still keep up with any of the families that you've met over over the years of doing the show? Um, I, I can't say that I really do. Um. Usually after I film there, uh, there's there's some correspondence, you know, for six months to a year just to kind of check in with them. Sometimes they just reach out to me out of the blue. I like to see if they're still maintaining it, if there's anything that we can do that wasn't provided in aftercare, or just be a sounding board for them if they need that. You know, we have a support group every Sunday night online, so you don't even have to leave the house. So obviously that's one of the things that I offer them. Um, but well, it's good. Yeah, but I try not to get too personal. We we interact with so many people out there that if I'm friends with all of them, I wouldn't have time to run the business. You know, I hate yeah. to say that, but, but it's true. Um, I even tell our, our employees, our project managers, like, never give your cell phone out. It, it seems mean, but a lot of these people have been so isolated and reclusive that we come in, we build their trust, and we are like, they're BFFs now. And they're going to call us and text us at all hours of the night. And, you know, that's great that we're able to get in that close with someone who has been isolated from the world. But at the same time, we have to manage our own home work life. And that's a fine line there. Right. Yeah, and that actually goes into our next question. Um, What do you do? What are the feelings that kind of go through, you go through when you've found out that, someone that you've previously helped has sort of gone back into their same hoarding behavior. It's, it's sad, but again, you know, 
in the, in the short term that we're there, we don't expect miracles. Um, and because of how the show works, we don't get to pick and choose. And I can tell you right now, in all honesty, at least 90% of the people you see on that show, I would have never agreed to work with. Not because I don't want to help, but because they're not ready. And when mm-hmm. you right. when you go into a situation where someone is emotionally not ready, you can pretty much guarantee what the outcome is going to be. They're not willing to do the self-work. Most of them use us to get past the crisis, and then they go back to their old ways. Right. Because yeah, they don't want to do the like self-work. It. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, you, they, they have to actually, to succeed, they have to be ready mentally. It's the same thing with, you know, if you're an alcoholic or even just somebody that's trying to quit smoking. You know, my dad mm-hmm. smoked for 60 years, and, you know, it was – now, mind you, when he quit, <clears throat> he finally found a doctor that told him point blank, you know, look, Joe, either you quit smoking or you're going to die. And mm-hmm. my dad quit cold turkey that day after well. 60 years of smoking, you know. But he had tried many times in the past, and he just wasn't mentally ready, you know. Sure. So that's – and that's a that's a key thing that I think – you know, people need to, to realize, too, when they come across somebody like that is, you know, yeah, it's great to say, well, why don't you just stop? You know, well, when I'm ready, yeah. I will. <laughs> you know? and, and a lot of it for us, I mean, we, we train our people to look at two things when they're talking to a hoarder that are really important. There's actually several, but how long have they been hoarding and what triggered it? What started it? You know, we helped a lady that I talk about, and if we need to go to break because this might be a two- or three-minute story, but it's it's really relevant. Do you want me mm-hmm. to just say it or no, do you want to take a break? Okay. No, so ahead. I always give the two examples. If you remember Al on the show who looked like Jesus in Indiana, he got his son taken away. Uh, we went back there twice. So I was at his house three on three different episodes. And in the third one, he finally got his son back. But here was a guy who was given every opportunity. He was very difficult to work with. The city was on him. They already took his child away. I still couldn't get him to get rid of stuff. Years went by, and he finally did enough to get his son home. Probably one of the mm-hmm. – that by far, I shouldn't even say probably, that by far is my favorite episode, is the third revisit uh, when Frankie's home at Al's, home, at his, at Al's house. Um, just seeing the change in him and stuff. But it took a long time. That's because he was raised by a hoarder at 10 years old. His brother said he had more stuff in the house than his father did. So his whole life, now he's in his 50s, he has spent 50 years hoarding. That's all he knows. He's the neighborhood junk guy. If you need something, you go to him. If you uh, have something to sell, you go to him. That's his career. That's his identity. That's everything. So we have to look at that versus we went on a, um, let's just call her a 26-year-old, for confidential um, who it took me about two months to just get in the front door because she only wanted an all-female team, and I didn't have that. So after a, a couple months of working with her on the phone and through email, she finally agreed to just let me and my wife come and help her. Spent the day in her apartment, completely cleaned it, and we learned that she had been raped by three men while they drove around in her stolen car. They stabbed her repeatedly, thought they killed her multiple times. Um so here is this fighter and survivor, but that took a toll on her to the point where she had to move because she was so fearful for her life because they didn't catch them. Um, she moved mm-hmm. to a high-rise apartment so no one could break in the back door because it was you know, so high up. She hoarded it and said, well, I had given up on everything, so that's why. But I also thought, well, if they walk in the door, I'll hear them step on something or they'll turn and run because it looks so gross. She became morbidly obese because she didn't want anyone to think she was attractive to want to rape her again. So two totally different stories, but if you open their front doors, they're both hoarders. The difference is she went through something very tragic that if we can get her the proper um, trauma and grief counseling and therapy to deal with that, she's only been hoarding for a year and a half. So we look at those and say, just on the surface, she is going to be easier to deal with on the hoarding side of things by far than this guy who his money depends on it. You know, that's his career. That's all he knows. He needs to redevelop himself completely and find an entirely new life. Yeah. So there's a lot to look at in these stories. And that's why understanding who you're working with is almost more important. It is more important than going and seeing their stuff and how much of it there is. I want to know them. I want another story. I want to know how they got here. 
Right. I mean, that, and that's, that's key. You know, I mean, you get that kind of foundation, it gives you a good starting point. You know how to approach it, you know, what kind of aftercare they're going to need. You know, and that rape lady to today still reaches out to me every six months, sends me video. She just sent me a video of her new home that she bought with her own money. She has a new job. She was in Vegas when this happened, and she moved out to California. Sent me a video walking me through her house, showing how clean it still is, and thanking me and my wife <laughs> for changing her life. Like, you, I'm sorry. Wow. Like, this is the reason I left the fire department and be, being a paramedic because – I know for a fact I'm saving more lives doing this than I was as a paramedic. Call it corny, but no paramedic call I ever went on did someone send me a video for 10 minutes saying, thank you, look at my life, look at how great everything is. Yeah. It's, it's not corny. It's, it's, it's awesome. It, you know, it gives me a good, happy feeling hearing that. You know, <laughs> yeah. seriously. It's, you know, yeah. it's, it's really, it's a, it's a blessing, you know, what, what you're going out and doing, you know, because, you know, you're right. It, I don't, you know, you didn't hear about it years ago. You know, I, I never heard about anything like this when I was a kid, you know, and mm-hmm. for, for you to recognize that this was going on and there was a need for and it. there was a need mm-hmm. for it, you know, I mean, and that's just, it, it's awesome. It's just really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank mm-hmm. you. It is. And I go to bed every night happier than I've ever been. And that's important. You know, they say if you can go, what's the saying? You know, if you enjoy what you're doing, it's not really worth it. Yeah. Right. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any advice for someone who has a hoarder in their life? Uh, and, you know, what's the best way to go about helping them? Gosh, that, I, I love this question because we, we get people on our live chats, on our websites. We get people to call and say, how do I help my mom? And I just say, I don't know because I don't know your mom. And, and yeah. so much of this goes back to what I was saying is really understanding the person. And so I can't help people. You know, when it's your loved one, you know what their triggers are. You know what upsets them. You know what, what probably works a little better. But I always tell people, look, you have to be supportive. Act like they're a drug addict addicted to heroin or something. You can't just say, come on, let's go. They have to be ready. They have to want it. You know, and until they do, mm-hmm. there's nothing you can really do. I had this talk with yeah. my wife last night. It just came up, and we were, you know, she was actually in the bath, and I was just sitting there talking to her. And, and for whatever reason, this came up um, because she's having a similar problem with a family member. And I just said, okay. just like I tell the hoarders, you have to go live your life. Like, you cannot let this anchor drag you down, drag your personal life into this and let it upset you so much when that person is actually quite happy, you know? Why are you letting it destroy your life and your relationship and stressing you out so much? You're carrying the baggage around, and yet they don't even care. So sometimes they just have to walk away and know that they did everything they could because guess what? There is a chance that they could, you know, die in a fire tomorrow, that the stuff could collapse on them. Like all the stories we hear almost daily. It could happen, but just like yeah. the drug addict could overdose, you know, you've given them resources, you've given them options, you've said, look, when you're ready, I'm here to support you, I'll help you in any way that I can, but until that point, live your life, really live your life, educate yourself on the disorder more if you need to. We have webinars, there's, um, there's books and videos out there to learn as much as you can, because the more the family member knows, the better they'll be when the person does want help or comes, you know, to their crisis point where they have to deal with this for some reason. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. What's There's the, no magic uh, answer. Yeah. What's the, the website that they can go to Corey for, for that to get uh, information? Is that on, on your company website? It's really not. I mean, we have a national website that just has resources. It has message boards, support groups, it's not really our company site. We just built it. It's funny. We mm-hmm. built this back in 2010 when Hoarders started airing because we started to get inundated with calls from all over the country. So we said, whoa, <laughs> we need a self-help site out there to get them to like find resources and not have to call us and tie up our whole day. So at sure. the website is hoardingcleanup.com. And that's okay. where every state has resources uh, for cleaning companies, for therapists, 
A couple of them even have like hoarding task forces. Um, and then that's where the Sunday night support group is. It's anonymous, so we don't hear or see each other. It's just a place where it's really turned into a peer-to-peer -peer support group where they just type back and forth. Um, but it's funny. Giving hoarders a little bit of accountability and responsibility goes a long way. When we were, when I was running the support group, which I ran for three and a half years, we would tell someone, look, you know, go clean whatever. Clean your bathroom counter today. That's your challenge before next Sunday. And they'd come on there and they'd say, oh, my gosh, I stayed up all night last night just so I could come on here and say that I did it. So giving Aww. them a little bit of exterior accountability and responsibility, they're used to failing themselves. But they don't want to go right. on there and, and be a failure in front of everyone else. So sometimes little things like that actually help them. So it's worth a shot. And if not, at least they have somewhere else to go to talk and be accepted because the people there are just like them, suffering through the same things. That's great. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, are you uh, aware, <laughs> and, you know, uh, Dr. Zazio didn't have an answer for this either, so if you don't, no pressure at all, but um, are you aware of this phenomenon? And I know I've experienced it. I know friends have experienced it. She's done this. Yeah, many times. <laughs> um, there's even uh, a stand-up comedian that made a, made a joke about this. When you s sit down and – you watch a few minutes of hoarders and then you have to pause the TV and get up and go clean something in your own house. There are so Have many you... people that say that on our Facebook page. I don't experience yeah, it, we... but I know a lot of people do. It makes them panic. Like, Oh my gosh, I got to go clean right now. And, and there is, there's a lot of people that do that because they say it on our social media all the time. Uh, honestly, it's we're funny. probably going to clean the house a little bit after we get off the line with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lysol. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Our friend Lysol is coming into the room. You know, he's actually, he will make fun of me relentlessly because I'll turn an episode on and I get maybe five or ten minutes in before I have to pause it. And I don't, I didn't even realize I was doing it at first. I had done it so many times and I paused the TV, I got up and I, start asking him, ordering him around, hey, can, you, can we do this? Can we order? Go grab, go grab the vacuum. And then he just, <laughs> one time he just said, hoarding, buried alive, strikes again. <laughs> and it hit me that he was right, that I was actually watching the show for a couple of minutes. And it, it, it is, it's like a panicky feeling, like, oh, my God, does my kitchen look like this? You know? And she's like, do you smell something? I smell something. Something stinks. <laughs> Get, quick, oh, go, go get, go get the lights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it does. I think it does trigger, trigger in some people. You know, it just gives them the heebie-jeebies. Like, oh, I cannot end up like this. I got to go fix it right now. It's funny because yeah. it's true. <laughs> yeah. It's it so such a strange, strange thing, and you just don't even realize you're doing it until somebody points it out yeah. to you. So. Well, yeah, it's I'm like when I watch Intervention, when I, when I see Intervention, I pull the needle out of my arm. I say, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> I just lost all my sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of that, what, what do you like to do with your free time when you're away from work? And I hope there's no well, since, involved. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Since moving to Idaho... Um, we're in the Sun Valley area, and it's just so amazingly beautiful up here that I, I just want to be outdoors. You know, so we we hike, we bike, we do anything where we're outdoors. Um, that's kind of my getaway. And I just every day I get off work, I walk. Not right now because the snow is about ten feet deep. But yeah. when I get off work, when there's no snow, I walk up. Um, it's about a mile and a half up this mountain behind our house. And then back oh. down, and that just kind of re-energizes me, clears my head, gets rid of the stress or anything that I'm going to bring home to my family. Um, so, yeah, I'm just outdoor, outdoor, outdoor is me all the way. That sounds awesome. I've told yeah. her for years that, you know, if we ever leave, because we're in Michigan, we're, we're in a suburb of Detroit, so it's yeah. about as urban as you can get. And mm -hmm. I've told her many times I would love to move somewhere farther west where you look out the window and you see mountains in the background, you know, I would just, that, yep. that's, that is a dream to me. And yeah. once you've got that um, awesome dog that your wife rescued that I'm in love <laughs> we have, with. We have three great Pyrenees now. So 
That's a, <laughs> oh that's an adjustment. Oh my yeah, gosh! Yeah, we have three yeah. of them now, and there's so much snow that our fences are completely covered. So guess who's living in the house with us? <laughs> Because they're roamers. They'll just run and take off, and they don't have any reason to go anywhere, but they just they want to go. They think the whole world yeah. is theirs to protect. So, yeah, so it's been a struggle this winter. We have to really think of something for next winter to help us through this. <laughs> Great Peter, white hair everywhere. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, Joe and I uh, started in uh, 2000- 2011. We started a pet sitting business and we had it for roughly four years. And one of the first clients we had had a Great Pyrenees and another little, you know, sort of like a Maltese or something. Mm-hmm. And our house is, is tiny. I mean, it's perfect for just the two of us, but it's it's yeah. small. And it's like literally having a polar bear walking around your house. <laughs> right. You know? Seriously, and this it guy, is. He was afraid of thunder, fireworks, you know, everything. So, and we got two thunderstorms while he was with us. And he would come, go into our bathroom and wrap himself around our toilet in fear. <laughs> and so yeah. I'm like vaulting over the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, yeah, and they're shedders. I mean, they, they shed bad. Yeah. So I go to the store and I look like the crazy cat lady. I know people are looking at me like a hoarder, hoarder. (laughs) (laughs) They're so great, though. They're such a great breed of dog. Like, I've never met one that I didn't like. Yeah, they're amazing. Their personalities are just so mellow. And, yeah, they're they're cool. I mean, the first one we got was a stray, and we just rescued it. Didn't even really know anything about them. And, that was a week before we were moving from California to Idaho, so it was meant to be because they're snow dogs. Yeah. And then once we got once we got that, we we're like, that's all we want because we're going to get livestock and stuff out here, so they protect very well. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Absolutely. And please, yeah. please tell me that you're going to start growing potatoes too while you're in Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do have garden beds. My my wife has not figured out much that will grow here except potatoes, but that's not very exciting to look at in our garden. So. <laughs> We'll figure out. I'm off. Put some plastic flowers out there or something. Hey, that's not funny. I've had to do that because I have a, I have a brown thumb. I cannot get anything to grow to save my life. So I have actually put plastic flowers out in front of our house before. And, so. the, and the funny thing is, people have driven by and said, "Wow, your flowers look so great this year." <laughs> Why? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, what comes next for you, Corey? Do you have any big plans for the future? I don't. Honestly, my goal in life is to really be able to offer this type of service, the kind, compassionate, non-judgmental service anywhere in the United States. You know, and we're not even close. We we cover about 18 states right now, um, about 180 million people. Some of our franchises wow. will go to other states if they really, you know, need the help, but I, I just want someone to be able to get help, you know, whether they're a victim of a crime, a suicide, a loved one of a trauma, um, or someone that suffers through hoarding. You know, this stuff mm-hmm. happens so often um, that I just, I hate to think that there's people out there that either don't know there's help out there or can't afford it. You know, just anything that we can do to better this world in our arena, I would love to do. Well, and you obviously have, I mean, it's, I don't know the the statistics on how many people you've helped, but even just for the ones that you've helped on the show is is a pretty decent amount. And if you're talking about you're in 18 states, I guarantee that you guys are helping more people than than, than anyone's ever been able to reach. So, you know, yeah. we just we just really, really have so much respect for you and everything that you've accomplished. And yes, I, I definitely know that whatever you set your mind to, you can get done. So, you know, thank well, you thank on behalf you of, you know, yeah. everyone, and you know, that has any interest in the show. It, I, I just, I try, I'm not trying not to get emotional because I have a tendency to, to tear up every time we do one of these shows. Yeah. <laughs> we get weeping. <laughs> <laughs> and then you, you know who gets to, to 
help her through all the whole thing when she starts getting weepy, don't you? That's right. No. Well, <laughs> you're gonna have to help both of us because if she cries, I'm gonna cry. It's gonna be a huge mess. I'm not gonna. <laughs> I can I can hug her. All I can do is tell you through the phone. Hey, Adam. <laughs> 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 no, thank you. It's, I'm, it's no, go awesome ahead, Corey. On here. I I just I appreciate the opportunity to be on here and just. You know, not just tell my story, but let people know about the truths behind hoarding and, and let people know there's options out there. That's all. They're not alone. Even if it's just a support group or a message board, you know, do something um, to get it out and don't keep it all bottled in because that's usually what creates all this stuff. So um, anything we can do to help those that suffer from it, we're more than happy to. So thanks for the time on the show to kind of let people discover that about us. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and we're so, so grateful that you were able to come on today and it's been yeah. a lot of fun. It's been even more fun than I anticipated it would be. So. Absolutely. <laughs> would be the best, so. <laughs> but, uh, All right, guys. Well, thank you again. Yeah. No, no problem. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today. I know you're a busy guy. Um, we just, we hope you have, uh, have a great day. And uh, absolutely. And I'll email you Corey when the, uh, the show is going to air in April. I'll email a link to you, and you can listen to it and, you know, Sounds pass good. it around if you like, and uh, it'll be good. So, again, thank you so much, and we just hope you have a good rest of your week. Yep, enjoy the show. All right. Thanks, guys. <laughs> and thanks, all you all right. listening. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hang hang on one for just one minute. Stay on line for just one minute, Corey. We are going to close out with Nico's Two Hearts.
Join us next week as Rebecca and Joe continue to battle the stigma of mental illness. Follow us on Twitter at Voices for Change RJ and on Facebook at Voices for Change 2.0. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.